Good evening, everybody. How are y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you as always. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be talking about sexy times. So uh, you can put the kids to bed and we'll be talking about getting our erotic lives back on track. But um, we're going to spend the first part of the show talking about getting our mental health, you know, getting it back aligned, prioritized, uh, starting the year off in that way. I know we're going to be using the entire month of January to kind of reset ourselves. We are working on acceptance. We're like, hey, this is where we are. We're okay where we are. Um, we are going easy on ourselves, dropping the bar for ourselves, dropping the bar for those around us, but also acknowledging what it is we might want to keep an eye on. That is, you know, wisdom is about knowing what we want to work on within the, within the context of some loving acceptance of, and this is where I am and this is what's happening around me and having the right expectations. We're not judging things as good or bad or right or wrong, but we're like, Hey, there's some things we might want to change. Um, change is inevitable. Change is healthy. But uh, we recognize that we're doing the best we can. We're in the context of a lot that's going on. My God, every time I turn on the news, I'm like, what? Uh, there's a lot going on. Politically, within the religious communities, voting rights, there, ah, you know, it never stops. So what are some things that we want to think about? We want to get our mental health back online. A lot of it tends to keep falling under like boundaries. I'm burnt out on using that word. And I think a lot of people are as well. Uh, but <clears throat> the first thing is... Um, we, we want to give ourselves permission to look out for ourselves. Uh, and for some people, it's really simple. <laughs> They're very self-centered or self-centering. And I think that that's good. And, and sometimes uh, for others, they're used to being people pleasers, uh, boundarylessness, not putting themselves first, all different, you know, labels or um, diagnoses. But first is just ask yourself, like, what is it I need? I think that that can be a very powerful question. Hard for some people to ask. What do I need? <laughs> what do I need more of? What do I need less of? Um, kind of prioritizing ourselves. I, I I do a lot of that in therapy with clients. Like, how's your how's your mental health right now? And that's a way to remind themselves that that's a thing to check in on. <laughs> and again, we're using that languaging. We're not saying like, hey, how are you? We're saying that's people that we casually are just trying to be polite with. But people we really care about, we want to really bring that topic up and in. We're saying to them like, hey, how's your mental health? Because remember, that's the way that we communicate to them that that's something to think about. And also we're a safe person to talk to about that by being direct. And we want to normalize those conversations. There's nothing wrong with those conversations. People we care about need a space for them to be like, hey, I've been anxious. I've been depressed. Not because you need to fix it or it needs a solution. In, in fact, quite the opposite. Most of the time, people don't want a solution. Nothing needs to be fixed because that's part of life, being anxious, being depressed. But we need to be able to process it and share it. We need to know there's other people in it with us. And that in itself is a beautiful intervention, just being like, wow, I hear you. Tell me more. Is there anything you do need from me? No. Awesome. I'm here to listen. That happens. Let's allow that. We can still move towards the things that are important to us while acknowledging and carrying with us anxiety or depression. I mean, that's the most important part, I believe, of mental health is realizing we can be wherever we are, feeling what we're feeling, and still move forward in the world. Uh, to participate in things that are important to us while still being anxious or depressed because those are all things that we have to be familiar experiencing. The work of psychotherapy is not to remove anxiety or depression. It's to learn how to have a new relationship to it. It's, it's to learn how to accept and allow that. Yes, there are deeper clinical levels that might require medication to help shave down some of the sharpness and harshness of it, and therapy can help with that, but it's not about the elimination of those things. It's about how do I manage my life and live with and within the context of that because that's something we're all going 
going to encounter. So remember that. Mental health is not, I'm never sad or I'm never scared, I'm never frustrated, I'm never anxious. No, and psychotherapy is not about never feeling those things or removing those things. It's about learning how to be in our lives and be in those and to carry that with us. Um, but in order to do that, we have to be able to just stop and be with ourselves for a second and honor where we're at, ask ourselves where we're at. So I have some clients and their homework is to spend multiple times a day checking in with themselves and writing down a feeling. A lot of times when you ask someone how they feel, they tell you what's going on or what they think. Feelings are these solid terms, happy, sad, scared, joyous, anxious, lonely. They don't have a long sentence to them. They don't have a long sound bite. They don't have a long story. That's when we're moving into our thinking, into our head. So that's the first part of getting our mental health back on track is just checking in on it, acknowledging that it exists and not shaming it if it's difficult and not thinking it needs to be fixed or a solution and not always offering that. So just sit with that for a second. How are you feeling today? How is your mental health today? That doesn't mean anything needs to be different. It doesn't mean anything is wrong. It's just being with ourselves. And that's really hard for some people. They just rush, 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 or they think that the work is about avoidance. They're always trying to lean away from anything that makes them anxious. They're always trying to get rid of their anxiety or their depression. For some of us, that's gonna be a companion with us. So the work is how to, how to be with that. Because we wanna remember that feelings aren't bad or good. They're just uncomfortable. They're not gonna harm us. And we, the work is about allowing them to be there, knowing that feelings naturally change. Ones that have been there with us for two weeks or more might require a medication or some deep psychotherapy to work with because that isn't always functional for most of us. But the true work in mental health is just allowing, acknowledging and letting them be there and moving away from what we call control strategies, strategies that actually make our lives unbearable when we're always trying to eliminate it, get rid of it, avoid it, bypass it, where we want to use acceptance strategies where we're observing it, we're naming it, we're acknowledging it, we're allowing it. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back and talk more about this. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Oh, right, y'all, we're back and we're talking about how to really get back to focusing on mental health moving into the new year. Talk about how feelings aren't good or bad. We actually make our lives worse when we try to always eliminate or get rid of or avoid depression and anxiety and what we call bad feelings. Those are all a part of life. And the work is about allowing them, believe it or not. The work is about acknowledging them, letting them be there. It's what we call acceptance strategies. Because a lot of mental health, or let me say it differently, a lot of mental struggles and a lot of mental illness is when we're trying to constantly get rid of and control them or we're feeling bad because we feel bad, where the acceptance is what alleviates that, saying, hey, I'm gonna observe and notice how I'm feeling, but I'm gonna be a little detached from it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it be. I'm gonna allow it. I'm gonna make room for it. That's the wording I use in my practice. We have to make room for all of our feelings. We have to learn to, how to not be directed by them or hooked. And instead, we focus on really living our lives based on what our values are. And instead of trying to control and eliminate and get rid of some of these bad feelings, how do we move forward living from our values, knowing that those will naturally come and go? So what's the work? It's accepting our thoughts and our feelings, but then connecting to what are our core values and taking what we call effective action from those core values. And that's how we live in the world. But good psychotherapy isn't about removing or getting rid of feelings. And it's this re-education that we have to learn how to allow them. We notice them and we observe them, but we don't battle them. Because that's when mental illness comes in, where we're constantly battling. We're leaning away from life. 
We have to learn how to be a part of and carry it with us. So that's that first piece. But then we have to move into the second piece about just also honoring our boundaries and our limits. I, I had some experiences of that over the holidays as well, where I was really not taking care of myself and I was <clears throat> leaning into some things that I know aren't ideal or best for me, as opposed to setting some of these boundaries, knowing what works for me. I, for instance, don't enjoy being around drinkers, especially when they're drinking. It's not my jam. I don't drink. It's not fun for me to be around. It brings up a lot for me. And so I was allowing myself to spend time around some people while they're drinking as opposed to saying, hey, it looks like you're now focusing the purpose of this time together to get intoxicated. It's not something I participate in. I'm going to exit. And instead, trying to be better than that or trying to be a team player or whatever it is and sticking around. And then it kind of ruins everyone's time. So I want us to ask ourselves, like, what are the limits we maybe need to set in this new year and not try to always be better than we're able to be? And this isn't a control strategy. It's not about trying to avoid. It's about honoring where we are. We don't want to avoid feelings, but it is okay to set boundaries around activities and behaviors and scenarios that just aren't right for your mental health. Like There is a distinction between those two things. There are some things that are reasonable and that are meaningful to us, and we do find a way to be a participant, but then there's some things that just aren't right for us, and we set those boundaries. It's really important, and I know it's really hard to do, especially as we've talked about some people moving into the new year trying to make some really big changes about who they are or sobriety or whatever it might even be. Um, so we, wanna, we don't want to compromise our mental health to please others. It never really makes anyone happy and it never leads to anything successful or meaningful. It actually makes life and, and situations harder. So really, really, really try to honor that and value that. So set those limits, set those boundaries. Um, and that's going to kind of move into the next piece. The big old, the, the nasty N-O word, no. It's really hard for some people to do that, but mental health often requires a lot of no's. <laughs> some people are great at that, too much so, because remember, healthy boundaries aren't inflexible. They do have flexibility, appropriately so, but they have flexibility. We don't want overly rigid boundaries. Um, but that no word can be very intimidating for some people because it's hard for us to let people down. It's hard for us to disappoint people. Sometimes hard for us to not participate in certain things, you know, but no is something that's important and we don't always even have to explain ourselves. And the more you practice that, the better you'll get at it. You'll get at it and the more familiar you'll be with it. Um, some people are not familiar ever saying that. They're just always trying to go along with everything. And like, look, there's a beauty in that. You know, one of my goals for this year is to be at ease with more things. And in a lot of ways to really go with the flow, but that doesn't mean I'm boundaryless. And that doesn't mean I don't say no to things that aren't good for me. And I know that it can be really hard to understand how to suss that out in certain situations. If it's something that's meaningful to you, you, you learn how to be a participant in it. And if it's not, you set the boundary. Feelings are things we do need to learn how to encounter and deal with. So it's really about finding that space between those two. Um, and I think sometimes it's also about really talking more vulnerably and openly with those around us, those that are important to us about what our goals are. Um, sometimes when we just say no to things or set firm boundaries and we don't really explain why that's important or meaningful to us, it's hard for people to honor that and respect that uh, or not to personalize it. So in some situations you don't explain yourself and some situations you do because you want the people around you to understand you and learn from that. And I know that that's hard. 
Um, and our lives change based on maybe having kids, based on relational status, based on sobriety, based on shifts in your mental health. And so at certain times, things that you're okay with or that you participated in based on age, all sorts of different elements kind of changes. And we have to make ourselves known again. And that's what can come with the new year when people set new goals and limits, people enter therapy. Um, there's a lot of shifting and changing in that. And that's going to come up in the later in the show, because later in tonight's show, we're going to talk about eroticism and how to kind of look at that differently. And, um, uh, oh, right, right, right. And looking at the role it can play in our lives. So we'll kind of tap into some of these points then too. But right now we're just talking very generally. Um, but just ask yourself, like, when's the last time that you said yes to something that you should have said no to? Why? Why did you feel so pressured? Uh, what were you afraid would happen if you took care of yourself? Were you afraid of your response, the person's response? Um, what are some limits that you didn't set? Or what are some ways that you allowed yourself to go beyond your limits? I have so many examples. It was a quite interesting holiday time where I learned a lot more about that. Um, and that's the work of like being a healthy adult is learning from scenarios that are both good and bad, right? What we need to do differently in the future and what we need to do more, what we need to do less of. So, uh, we're going to take a little break and we're going to follow up on that, but then we're going to be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, topics, things you want us to circle back to. And as always, uh, we are channelq.com is where you want to go to check out past episodes. So stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Oh, right, y'all. We are back. And uh, just talking about how to get our mental health uh, reprioritized and recentered. Times have been rough. We've been distracted. We've had a lot of other things to focus on. So it's like, how do, what do we want to think about? And I keep coming back uh, in the new year to a sense of like core values. What's most more important and meaningful to you? Meaning, what kind of person do you want to see yourself being? Meaning, what are the ideals that you want to be moving through the world with? And I think it's an important thing for everyone to ask themselves. And if you don't have an answer, spend some time asking yourself that. I know what mine are. Uh, compassion, uh, not causing suffering. I want to be constantly thinking in what I call relational terms, which means I'm considering how I'm impacting important people in my life. So it's like we have to know what our, our, our ethics are, our value system, um, our core values. And those are the things we go back to when we don't know how to make a decision. So again, I've shared this on the show before. When I'm trying to figure out maybe something career-wise or whatnot, I'll say, is does it cause harm? And does it sound fun? Because pleasure and, and not causing harm are really important ethics of mine. And so I use different things like that as a rubric. Um, so ask yourself that. Because what we're also asking ourselves are, are the strategies we've been using thus far helpful? Are they effective? Are they getting us what we want? Are they helping us live with our core values? That's a really good way to assess behaviors because uh, we tend to get trapped in that. So we really want to look at that um, because if we keep living by our values, it's a really good decision-making matrix. Clients will come in and they'll say, I don't know if I should leave a marriage, stay in a marriage, take this job, leave a job. And I don't know either, but I'll say, what are your core values? And then I'll ask them, are you living by those? What would they, what would, how would they apply to this scenario? What causes the most suffering? What's the most compassionate? Are you living relationally? Like those are different ways to start to understand how to look at a situation. Uh, because again, we're trying to make room for unwanted feelings, but we're trying to live based on our core values and take what we call effective actions, actions that are aligned with who we want to see ourselves be and that move us towards and help us keep or gain what really matters to us. 
if your family means the most, well then you have to ask you know, yourself about your job. Is my job getting in the way of me being a part of my family or being a family member in the ways that are important to me? Are they helping me be the kind of partner I want to be? Like that's the decision-making rubric. And that's how we live what we call mindfully. That's how we have what we call value-guided action. That's really, really important. But if we don't know who we are on those levels, it's really hard for us to figure out how to make some of these decisions. And so that's a really important core thing to come back to because a lot of the problems that some people struggle with in the world are based on living incongruently with their values and taking actions that aren't effective and aren't tied to them living in the world in the ways they want or being the kind of person they want to be. I wouldn't like, I don't participate in things that are like, let's say body shaming and sex negative because my values are about not causing suffering or causing harm. And so I wouldn't feel good if I was perpetuating or somehow participating in those systems. And so, you know, it's not going to necessarily give you clear direction with everything, but it's an important way to start to make those decisions. So you have to, again, understand what's most important and meaningful to you. And then we can move into these other pieces. So that's what I'd really like you like <clears throat> during the break, ask yourself that. And it's not even something that you necessarily can like bang out as a one-off. I mean, I've come to these conclusions and ideals over the course of a lot of time and working on myself and seeing how certain people live in the world, how others live in the world and how I want to move through the world. And, um, I think it's important and you'll notice some people are really, they've got this down. Other people you'll see that they're all over the place, um, but it's a really good uh, lens. It's also how we get closer to happiness, which is a very vague goal that a lot of people have. The big, I just want to be happier. That's a big part of it. But first you have to understand who you are, how you want to see yourself be. And, and then you can assess, is that how I'm moving through the world? And that's part of that happiness piece. Uh, happiness isn't what you have. So it's not about once I have that new job, once I have that relationship, once I have that new car, no, those are bursts of joy. Those are material. Materialism does not lead to happiness. That creates momentary pieces of joy. But what really leads to long-term happiness is contentment, being happy with what we have, and also living a life that's rooted in what's important and meaningful to you, period, end of story. And happiness is a lower level feeling, but we're used to these bursts of joy, how it feels when we get those new shoes, that new car, that new job, more money. And we somehow think that it should always feel like that. And that happiness is about always being at an eight, a nine, a 10. No, that's what joy feels like. Happiness is living at about a five. It's contentment, looking around and being like, I like who I am. I like how I move through the world. I like the things I have. I'm living a life of purpose, meaning, and value. And that's a little bit lower level, but we're so used to wanting more, faster, shinier, larger. And we, again, that's, that is a rush, but that's not what true happiness is about. So look at those boundaries, learn to say no, look at what your core values are. Are you living in that way? And it's going to create a lot of change because some people, the answer is like, yes. Other people, they're like, well, I have a lot of work to do, but that's an important part of mental health. We can't separate those pieces. Anyway, we'll talk more about it. We're going to take a break, <clears throat> do some DMs, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about our erotic lives. So uh, put the kids to bed. We'll be talking about sex stuff. Uh, but DMs, DMs come from our Love Energy page. DMs are always open. You can always put them in there. Questions you got, topics you want covered. And as always, past episodes of Loveline is over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it. You can binge, post, share, re-listen. But uh, stick around, y'all, because we got more to come. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. 
This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been listening to your show for a long time. Always appreciate the positive ideas you share and your advocacy. Thank you. I, I like hearing positive feedback. <laughs> I do. Um, not directly related to dating, but I wanted to ask, given the events of the last couple of years, have you encountered nihilism around you or in your practice? What do you consider to be nihilism? Ooh, we're getting philosophical here. So there's a lot of depth to that term and concept. So I'm going to be a little, um, I don't know. Uh, we're not going to drop that deeply into it because it's a big question. But for those that aren't familiar with that term, it basically just means nothing matters. Nothing's going to change. I give up. Nothing has meaning or purpose or value and no one cares. And um, there's a lot of amazing philosophers who write about that in really beautiful, profound ways because that that perspective doesn't have to be negative as much as sometimes it's a very reasonable, rational state or belief. And for some people, it can be very motivating. And for others, it can be very deflating and depressive. Um, so do I encounter it in my practice? You know, it's interesting. No, not, not as much as you would think. And I believe that in a lot of activist circles or people that are really politically aware and watching what's going on in the world and in the news, it's easy to think in those ways. And I don't think that we, we shouldn't. If someone said like, is the, are we getting better? Or are we getting worse? I would, I would struggle to answer that. I, I have some examples I could give where I think we're, things are getting better, but then in a lot of ways, things aren't any different. Um, I talked a lot about that during when COVID started, where I was saying, I really hope that this brings us back to really more important values. And we start being more community centered and collective in our you know, ethics. And we look out for each other and our neighbor and we wear masks because we do care about how we impact others. And I haven't seen that be the case. I've, I see us doing the same toxic individualism where I'm only gonna worry about me. And if I wanna travel and go to that party, I will. And I don't care if people are gonna be killed or made sick over COVID. And I don't care if they have health insurance or if they're compromised, I'm just gonna do me. And it's like, yeah, more of that, huh? Um, so that's a bummer. We still don't care about the environment, climate change. We're not willing to have the difficult conversations about you know, dietary choices and the impact of animal agriculture on the climate. So that's a bummer. I don't see that changing. But then I do see amazing advancements in the labor rights movement where people are demanding healthcare and living wages and they're quitting jobs that underpay. And they're saying, you have to earn the right to employees. Companies don't have a right to have employees and companies that are like, no one wants to work. No, no one wants to work for you because you have nothing meaningful to offer people and you don't take care of your employees and we're quitting. That's awesome. And students are walking out and teachers are quitting and companies like Starbucks are unionizing. Awesome, awesome. People want jobs that have meaning to them. Awesome, I love that. I'm here for that. Black Lives Mattering and this movement and really looking at white supremacy and dismantling that. Awesome. Inclusion, awesome. You know, but then I still see Texas and places like that taking away the right for abortions and, and trans rights and trans health care and people still supporting Trump. And I'm just like, yeah, what's the purpose? I give up. So I teeter. I, I, I refuse to not be part of change because if not me, who else? I have to. But at the same time, I think we drink too much. I think we're materialistic. I'm no one cares about what's going on in the news, but yet we're giving millions of views to these TikTok idiots that are doing these dumb dances. And that's what people want to spend their time looking at. And I put my face palm. So it's hard, you know, I think we have to be realistic. Uh, but I also don't think we want to use it to a place where we're not motivated anymore. So I think it's both, but no, I'm not seeing that much of it in my practice actually, but I guess I'm not really working with that many, uh, socially aware activistic people as I had in the past. 
Um, some of my friends though that are in that are like, I give up, I'm moving to a farm and I'm just going to like spend the rest of my time away from it all, you know, in a cocoon. I, I don't have that luxury. I'm still doing my work, but, um, there's days where I want to do that. I just don't think that that's a very motivating stance. I, I do want to try to make the world better and make my legacy a part of that. Uh, that's a good question though. Thank you for that. I haven't gotten asked a really smart question like that in a long time. So that was a very exciting question. I wish I could spend the whole show talking about it, but that's not what people really want from this show, sadly. So anywho, thank you for that question. We're going to take a break. Questions you got, topics you want answered, put them in our DMs on our Loveline IG page. Smart or not smart, it's fine. You're allowed to be where you are. Ask the questions you want to ask. Stick around. We'll be back listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Alrighty, we're back. And it's time to talk about some sex stuff. So put the kids to bed. Um, I was looking at an article. Headline was, how long is too long to go without having sex in a relationship? I will never answer questions like that, ever. Because it sets a standard or a norm that might not be right for the individual or the couple. And it also doesn't acknowledge that the answer to that question is going to change. Relationship to relationship ship uh, month by month, life situation by life situation. And it really misunderstands what sex is about. First off, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to have a lot of intensity in there. It's supposed to be a tool for connection, a tool for intimacy, a tool for pleasure. It's not supposed to be something that is about living up to a standard. So when someone asks me questions like that, what's normal, what's standard, I say it doesn't matter. I say the work is about finding out what's right for you at this time in your life, in this current relationship. Because that answer is going to maybe ebb and flow as time moves on. And so when someone asks me that question, I say to them, it sounds like you're not happy with where you're at. Because if you were happy, you probably wouldn't be asking me that. So maybe for you, it's been too long. And then the work becomes about how did we get there? Why are you afraid to initiate? Why are you afraid to ask for more sex? What's going on? But I never answer that question because I think that that really shames and pathologizes because what's right for another couple might not be right for you. And again, what was right for you in the past might not be right for you based on where you're at. I also say to people, what do you mean by sex? Penetration? Sex is bigger than that. We have to be adults. It's not always going to evolve our genitals or penetration or even orgasm. Sex is a wide rubric and umbrella of things that we can do that involves just us coming together and creating pleasure and joy and connection. Um, it involves fingers and toys and tongues and sometimes our sexual anatomy as it's been labeled. And the older we get, hopefully the more confident we get and the more exploratory we get. We have an entire body that is our erogenous zone. Our full body is our erogenous zone. And what is pleasurable for some is not pleasurable for others. And every time we're with a new partner or a new phase in our life, we're a virgin again. Who am I now? What am I wanting now as a sex partner? What part of my body do I want touched or not touched? These are really beautiful exercises that I also do with people. What are the ways that we really avoid being present and intimate? What parts of your body do you let be touched and seen? And what parts of your body do you not? And why? Is it about you or is it about your partner? What do you need at this time in your life? What are you unwilling to do and why? Why are you unwilling to have deeper intimacy with your partner and their body or your own body? What will you do with the lights on? What will you do with the lights off and why? These are really important questions to ask ourselves because it's about trauma, it's about trust, it's about body esteem, it's about communication. All the things that we should be able to have with a close committed partner. So if you're in a close committed relationship and you can't even talk about these things or ask for what you want or say, I don't like what we're doing, can you do this instead? We have a bigger problem because that means trust is absent or confidence is absent. 
or we don't have good communication or we don't have a relationship full of vulnerability because all of these things should be acceptable topics saying, I like it when you touch me here. I don't like it when you touch me there. I'd like to explore this part of your body. Why do we only have sex? It always starts with step one and then it's always step two and then it's always step three. Can we change it up? Can we do it different times and different places and different ways? Because sex should be spontaneous and fluid based on what you're feeling in the moment. It should be honest. It breaks my heart when I hear people are in long-term relationships and they're having sex they don't want to have or they're not having it the way that they enjoy or whatever it is. Because if we can't talk about this, we can't talk about other things. That's one of my favorite sound bites. So start with the sex piece. Start by asking yourself privately what ideally would be happening for me sexually and how can I start to bring that to my partner? And if I don't feel like I can, why? Why is that? What am I learning about myself or my relationship in my inability or our inability to tolerate these questions? Bam. That's what I want our new year to be rooted in. Being able to be that authentic, our total and full authentic selves with our partners at all times, especially sexually. So start there for a second. Look at the way you have sex. What do you wish was different? What are the parts of your body or the sex acts that you won't do? Why? Or that you won't ask for? Why? Are you afraid to be seen as sexual? Are you afraid to be seen as kinky? Are you afraid it won't make you look like a good mom or wife material? Why do you believe that? Why do you maintain that as opposed to dismantling and challenging that? Why are you holding yourself back from the one person that you shouldn't be? Why are you denying yourselves pleasure to the extent and levels that you could have it? Why is it not safe? Why can you and your partner not talk about these things? We all have coming out to do. Coming out's not about I'm gay or I'm straight. Coming out's about here's what I am as a sexual being. This is what I enjoy. This is where I like to be touched or not touched. And why? We all have coming out to do. So I love these body mapping exercises. You draw your body. It can be a stick figure. Circle where you like to be touched and where you don't and, and make it something that's possible in totality so that the answer is everywhere, depending on how I feel in that moment. What are the things you'll do and won't do? Get to a place where everything is possible. But it, we, have, we learn about ourselves and our partner and our relationship when we're asked these powerful questions. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and uh, we're going to move into some reasons why uh, your partner might not want sex because we need to be able to face and talk about these topics because if we can't talk about these topics, yeah, that's right, we can't necessarily talk about other difficult topics. So start here. So I love this stuff. Uh, and then the DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. But uh, stick around, y'all. More to come. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. We're back and we're going to talk about uh, reasons why someone might need, excuse me, reasons why someone might say no to sex. It's always okay to say no. I want to start by saying that. Um, but in a relationship, I want us to be in a place where we can communicate why so we can learn about each other. I don't want it just to be no or even a, even a nonverbal no, which is acceptable. But I want us to be in a committed, trusting, vulnerable relationship where we can say, hey, I'm not interested in that right now. And remember, and we'll get into the reasons why people might say no, when a partner makes a bid for our attention, we don't want to reject or ignore, whether it's sexual or non-sexual. Of course, we have a right to say I'm not interested in sexuality, but we have to provide some form of connection. So it's okay to say I don't want penetration, let's just do oral. It's okay to say I don't want anything erotic, let's just lay here together. It's okay to say I don't want anything erotic or sensual, let's just cuddle and hold hands. It's okay to say you don't want anything sensual, erotic, or even affectionate, and to say let's just have a talk or go for a walk. 
or it's okay to say right now, I don't really feel like connecting, but let's, let's come back together in an hour and have some dinner or let's have sex then. But I don't want the answer just to be a solid no, because then the person personalizes and they might stop coming to you. And I don't want them to feel shamed by their sex drive. And I don't want them to stop trying to connect with you. And so we have to provide some form of connection back. It doesn't have to be what they're asking for, but it has to be something. This is a wider relational principle that's very important. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, and again, if we're not able to say no or set those boundaries, then we have to look at what kind of relationship are we in? Is it about us, us setting better boundaries or are we with someone who doesn't honor boundaries and can't be told no? And then we have maybe an abusive situation, right? An emotional or psychologically abusive situation. So these are really powerful learning moments. But why might people say no to sex? Dun, 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 dun. First off, maybe because the sex you're having isn't worth wanting. <laughs> it's a really hard one. But sometimes we fall into those patterns, habits, and routines, and it's boring, and it's not hot, and it ain't fun, and it ain't what I like, so why would I want to do it? But that's on you to vocalize that. Hey, the way we've been doing it isn't fun. Let's do this. Or whatever the reasoning might be. But that's the number one reason. Sometimes because it's not worth wanting to do. Anything that isn't fun or doesn't feel good, we're not going to be excited about or wanting to come back to, but it's on us to communicate that. With whatever domain we're talking about, going to the movies, going shopping, restaurants, you have to be like, yeah, I don't like eating there. So when we talk about going out to eat, that's why that doesn't sound fun to me. Here's where I would like to go. Sex is the same way. Hey, I don't always orgasm because when you get off, you think sex is done. So I need us to then work on me getting off. Or I don't like the positions we're having it in. I'd like to have sex this way. Everyone's sexual feelings are as valid as the others. And we live in a world where 73% of people that are clitoris owners do not orgasm with a penis owner because drum roll, most clitoral owners do not orgasm from penetration alone. They need clitoral stimulation before, during, or after. So like 75%-ish of people that have a vagina and clitoris don't come with a penis partner but they definitely do about, I think it's like 50 or 60% when with a same-sexed partner and 100% when with themselves. So we have to start changing that. So we all have to ask more questions. We have to all learn a little bit more about anatomy. We all have to speak up about what it is we enjoy because that's part of it. So again, remember, we want sex that's worth having. Um, so that's one of them. So that's kind of like some of that boredom piece. Um, another reason is because we don't really feel safe or good in our relationship. <laughs> because the number one thing that makes us want to be open sexually and explore is feeling safe. And so if you and your partner haven't been getting along, or you don't feel safe with them. It's very understandable that you don't want to be penetrated by them or to penetrate or to open up on that level to them. So we want to look at that from both angles. Are you maybe not creating a safe space for your partner to open up? Because part of sexual arousal and orgasm is being able to let go. And sometimes our body and sex drive is communicating what we won't. And so think about that. Again, is sex even fun and worth having? But then also, is this a partner or a relationship in which I feel safe and that I want to let them in and I want to connect to them on that level? Because sometimes it isn't. And so sometimes it's healthy that you're not interested in sex. So really sit with that. This is, again, where sex can help us better understand about ourselves or our relationship. It can lead to some really uncomfortable conversations, but really important ones that need to be had. So that's why we want to give better answers than just no, at least to ourselves. What is that no communicating? What is it you're saying no to? And, and what would make you want to say yes? I, want, I always want us to be self-reflective. That's why in therapy, I don't let people just give me off-the-cuff answers like sex is good, sex isn't good. I'm like, why? 
What ideally would make it better? Why do you not enjoy sex with your partner? What could they do that would help you want that? What has made you want it with others in the past? Because again, we have a sexual excitation system and a sexual inhib inhib inhibitory system. There are things that are a gas pedal and things that are a brake. And we want to understand that both parts of ourselves and our partner, what makes them want it and also what makes them not want it. So we can work on pushing the gas more or taking our foot off the brake. And a lot of the time, the problem's actually often too much brake. There's too many things that make them not want it. We focus too much on what will make you want it. What can we do more of? We'll bring in toys. We'll do it longer. It's like maybe, or we need to remove the things that prevent us from wanting to have it. Sometimes the answer is brush your damn teeth and shower, you smell. Other times is you don't hit on me in a way that turns me on. Other times it's because the dog is in our bed. Other times it's because I'm stressed out, I'm in my head, I'm thinking too much. But we have to figure out what's preventing us from wanting it and also what make what might be the gas. So it's like, what's, the, what's making us pump the brake? And what also helps us hit the gas? It's about both. So use that languaging. What helps me hit that gas harder and what makes me pull my foot off the brake? Is it what we're doing or is it our relationship? We're gonna take a break and when we come back, we're gonna look at some of the individual factors. But sometimes, like I said a minute ago, it is those tough conversations of telling your partner, I'm not attracted to you anymore. I need you to shower, I need you to brush your teeth, I need you to style your hair. We have to be able to talk about these conversations with our sex partners. So when we come back, we're gonna talk about some of the individual factors as to why we might not want sex. And uh, then of course, we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page questions you got, topics you want covered, and past episodes, always over at wearechannelq.com. So uh, more to come. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Alrighty, y'all. We are talking about sex. So uh, put the kids to bed. Talking specifically about uh, what makes us not want to have sex. I know. First thing we're talking about is uh, science because it ain't worth wanting. <laughs> it's not fun. It's no good. But that's on both of us. It's on all the partners to speak up. Then we talked about science just because uh, too much, too much gas, or too much break. Often it's too much break. What are the things that are getting in the way? What are the things that prevent you? What are the things that stop you and slow you down? How can we remove those? I'm saying sometimes it's something as difficult as your partner smells. They need to shower, brush their teeth, or it's because you're not getting along. You don't feel safe or comfortable with them or maybe you're not attracted to them. Also, let's talk about some of those individual factors. Some people have uh, performance anxiety, which I'm bummed out that that's even a thing because there's no right way to do sex. Sex is just about being present and having fun. And there's no right way. We talk all the time about erectile disappointments. People have really bizarre expectations on their penis acting like a dildo where it should get hard, stay hard, and at all times and the way you want for as long as you want. No, that's called being a human. It doesn't happen like that. And when it's not working the way we want, we use our finger, we use tongues, we use toys. Like sex should be fluid. It should always be different. It should always start one way and stop another way. It shouldn't always be step one, then this is step two, then that's step three, boring. It should involve different parts of our bodies. Again, very fluid. But that performance anxiety, really look at that. Is that your partner applying that, that they're expecting it to be a certain way and demanding something? They might not be a good or safe partner to have sex with. We have to explain to them, I'm, I'm a human. It's going to be different. Or are you applying that? Maybe you need more sexual experience. Sometimes it's the porn we're watching. We're not seeing the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're just seeing it always working the way it needs to work. And sometimes that's been normalized. And we really believe that that's how it goes. 
uh, for those that haven't had a lot of sex, they haven't had a lot of experiences with all the diversity that happens. Um, sometimes also we're really not willing to be vulnerable and we're keeping our sex lives to ourselves. Yes, some people are more solo sexuality based where sex is more about them with themselves. But when you're in a relationship, you do want to, if, especially if you're monogamous, be open to partnered sexuality. So you have to be able to talk about that and maybe you have to limit some of the sex you have with yourself so that you have interest in sex with your partner. But you want to talk about that as a couple. Um, what are we doing? What are we not doing? What might be getting in the way? Because as we said, sometimes it's too much break. We also talked about boredom. Make it fun. Um, and then we have to talk about the trauma. Sometimes it's because we don't trust them. Maybe someone's had uh, an affair uh, or we don't really buy into the trust or commitment in our relationship and we don't really feel safe letting go. But again, these are things that we have to be willing to communicate. These are not things that can be assumed. And then finally, sometimes there's a medical issue. Rarely is that the case. I've seen some clients hope that it was something like low testosterone and if I get that check, that all is going to come back. Not always the case. And also know that uh, low sexual desire is a side effect of most antidepressants. And so for many couples, if the antidepressant is creating no sex drive, then for them that is not working. And then that means the medication isn't working. Yes, the medication might be addressing the depression, but if it's negatively impacting other important areas of their life, like intimacy and sex, well then it isn't working. And that isn't the right dose or that isn't the right med for them because that does matter. And so I wanna support people in saying to their you know, primary provider, uh, it's not working as evidenced by the fact that it's killing my sex life and that's important. And so I need to be on something that doesn't negatively impact my sex life. Otherwise, it's not the right med for me. For some people, the depression's bad enough where they're willing to forego sex, but for a lot of clients, no. And, and again, that's okay to say, I'm not willing to give that up. It's as important to me. And then you gotta kind of work with your doctor on different dosages and different meds and some have you know, less impact, but that's something at this time step into. And then we also have to look at just our relationship to our bodies. You know, sex is about us being in our body and we have to feel good being in our body and we have to feel like we're attractive to ourselves and to our partners. And so sex makes us go up against our body esteem. Um, that can be hard for some people. Do you desire yourself? If you don't find yourself worthy of desire, it's going to be really hard to, you know, settle into sexuality. Sometimes the work takes an interesting direction in sex therapy when that becomes the case. How do I work on that? You know, what's creating that? Is it the world I'm participating in that's reflecting that back? Do I need to change that? Is it the way me and my partner relate to each other? Whatever it is. Um, and that's where like this work can expand and push us into other areas. Um, and then finally, am I being my honest, authentic sexual self? Which means, am I really, really asking for what I want? And that's that coming out piece again. So these are really powerful questions to sit and ask yourself. Um, and sometimes it's all of these things and sometimes it changes. But these are all the different pieces. Um, and that's why I go back to my earlier point in the show, which was that's why I never say this is the amount of sex a couple should have because it's gonna be a different answer for everyone based on who they are, where they are, what's going on in their lives. And we don't wanna shame ourselves with some standard because what's good for others doesn't make sense for us. And when we look at a standard, it's an average. Most people are on either side of the average, less and a little, or a little bit more. That average shouldn't be meaningful for us. That's just the norm and that's not our goal, right? Our goal is being our authentic sexual selves. Um, all right, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we're going to be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, you'll know the drill. Put the DMs in our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics you want covered, and uh, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. 
Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it. You can binge, post, share, re-listen. We'll be back, though. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this one is a little bit long. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've had two pretty traumatic events happen to me in my lifetime. I'm starting to realize now, after beginning to face them, that they were both traumatic in their own ways, but I've been lumping the two together. One was a sexual assault. One was an extremely abusive relationship. In order to work on them, I've been trying to separate the two and address them both, but it's hard to separate because one of them brings up feelings for the other, and it's like my mind can't break them apart. How do I separate these two? I don't think you can, and I don't think they are, and I don't think you need to. Trauma, see, here's the thing. A lot of people think that trauma or memory are these solid things that exist in a certain place in our brain, and we can talk about the trauma as though, um, let me say it differently. Some people believe that trauma work means talking directly about the trauma. Some people think that trauma means it's this isolated thing, but understand that when an event happens to us, it has global impacts on us. And sometimes the biggest impact it has on us are things and in ways that we don't even connect, and that any form of psychotherapy or work on ourselves is always going to include that because trauma, like any event, is gonna leak into different areas of our lives. For instance, if let's say the trauma was being raised in a family where love was never shown, which is very traumatic, and you never get care, you never get love, you never get attention. Well, that's gonna show up in your job interview when you might not feel like you have worth and value or as though this interviewer cares about you because you've never been shown care. So it's gonna show up in that moment. It's gonna show up in all your adult relationships with making friends. You're not gonna maybe trust friend relationships when in a romantic relationship, you're not gonna believe in your worth and value even though your partner says they love you. And you might not ever connect those dots. But when you're working in therapy on whatever you're struggling with or, or challenged by right now, that is trauma work. And so it's all, it's fused into everything. And so the most powerful work I do with clients is sometimes never saying the word trauma or even referencing the exact event, but we're undoing it by working on just being in the present. We're undoing it by being in the present and working with what's in front of us. We're doing trauma work by being in the present, working on what's in front of us and trying to be our better selves, living from our core values. We're looking at what our difficulties are, knowing that those are somehow connected to our early upbringing, every event we've had since then, including the trauma. We're doing trauma work when we're working on your problematic relationship to drugs and alcohol or exercise because it's very much rooted in the way you were treated or the events or things that have been done to you that have eroded out your self-worth, your self-esteem, your body esteem, whatever it is. So you don't need to separate them and you don't even need to work on them directly to be working on them. In fact, a lot of trauma work, we never even use those words anymore. Trauma-informed care is recognizing that we've been through micro and macro traumas and that most of the things we struggle with are the result of that and we try to help people have voice and choice and power because trauma is very disempowering. It removes our voice. We don't feel like we have a wealth of choices. And so you, it's a very vague answer because it's a vague question because trauma is a big thing and it has global impacts. It's not just that happened and the trauma is only in existence when I'm engaging in something directly related to that event. Although sometimes it does and it can, and we'll talk about it in that direct way. But we never know how it's present now 
because we can only theoretically make those connections because everything that's happened to you since then has made it stronger or it's weakened it, whether related or unrelated. That's the good and the bad is that every positive thing that's happened since then might have helped dismantle and water some of that down or have given you a corrective experience. So it's a very global work. It's not as precise as you think. It's not like I have a broken bone and so we just go right to that bone to heal that bone and a broken bone in your leg has no impact on your wrist or your hands or your neck. With mental health, everything's connected. You can't separate things out. So I hope that was, I hope that was an answer. You don't, you don't have to think about it with such specificity. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow. If you got a damn first drop in the DMs on our Love Lineage page, questions, topics, things you want us to circle back to, we want to hear from you, and uh, past episodes. Always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the show, click on it. You can binge, post, share, read, listen. Good stuff because we got lots to unlearn and the work is about repetition. So go back and listen, check some of that stuff out. But I will be back tomorrow. So uh, join us then. Be kind to yourselves, be kind to those around you. Um, as always, thanks for hanging out, y'all, and you enjoy the rest of your night.